1: G-Shawn, J. Will, and Max, the podcast. Check the guys out live weekday mornings
2: from 6 to 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio.
3: We got Les Snead coming up at 9.30. Ooh, what a day. Hey, guys, we just had Hugh Jackson, and he had a whole lot to say. Mm. Key, I'm talking about a whole lot to say. He put a number on it, all types of stuff. Yeah, he, he did that. That's for sure.
4: <laughs> you know, and certain people, and I've known Hugh Jackson since I was probably 11 years old, I think it was, maybe 10. And and um, you feel for guys like that, that you know, and then when you really get to understand what is going on with them in their coaching career, their lives, because from an outsider, we don't know everything internally. But when you start to learn things internally and you say, well, damn, you went one in 31 and they gave you an extension, and you continue to draft players and build for the future for somebody else, you're at a disadvantage already. Mm. It just, you know, because you go back and you look at his Raiders tenure, Jay, he was a good football coach with the Raiders.
5: Key, and it was striking when he kind of openly stated, yeah, I I went to arbitration, and 95% of what I, I know makes me dangerous to the league. And even though we presented all the evidence, it got dismissed. So when you hear things like that, you're saying, wow, okay, the shield is shielding itself. And what does that mean now in conjunction with Brian Flores?
3: And this is the reason we had Hugh Jackson on today is Brian Flores, the former coach of the Miami Dolphins, fired in spite of two losing seasons, uh, sorry, winning seasons for a team that apparently he alleges was trying to lose, but anyway, hadn't been relevant in forever, right? He's suing the Broncos, the Giants, for sham interviews, essentially, uh, and the Dolphins, alleging that Stephen Ross, the owner, tried to bribe him with $100,000 per loss. And Hugh Jackson has come forward really supporting Brian Flores with his own stories. Here is Hugh Jackson sound with us from just a few minutes ago on what happened. Did you accept mm-hmm. bonus money for losing games?
6: No. When you say, did I accept? No, because I didn't know exactly, like I'm saying, exactly where this was all coming from until we're in it. And when you say accept it, it's like somebody hands you the money. Money gets directly deposited into your account.
4: Did you accept the money unknowingly, and how much was it?
6: Absolutely. It was a total of $750,000, but it was based on how, you know, whatever those benchmarks you hit. What it was that you got every year from it, I really don't know. because Those things are directed, you know, right into your checking account.
3: So Mike Tannenbaum is ready with us now. Mike, what's your reaction to what you heard just there from Hugh Jackson?
2: Um, Well, you know, when someone gives you that sort of detail, um, I'm I'm sure it's it's very noteworthy, and I'm sure that's something that the league will follow up on uh, when someone speaks in that sort of detail.
3: What about the fact, Mike, that, and of course, Mike Tannenbaum, ladies and gentlemen, former GM in the NFL, is aware of how stuff works behind the scenes. Mike, what about the fact that he says he has all this stuff, went to the league, and it was, you know, denied, essentially?
2: Yeah, no, that's uh, obviously, you know, concerning. You know, I I do know, like, in terms of when there's matters between former employees and the league, uh, most contracts. I can't say all, but most over the years have arbitration clauses where the league is going to settle disputes. Um, and obviously that's concerning if if they just, again, I, I don't know the particulars, if they just dismissed the suit or if they looked at the evidence. But uh, again, like when someone talks in that sort of detail, usually uh, the league is thorough in, in following up.
5: Mike, Mike, if that's true, what will the penalty be for Jimmy Haslam?
2: Oh, Gosh, Jay, well, I mean, it is, you know, it could be, you know, the ultimate penalty of, you know, having to sell your franchise. Um, if there's actual, you know, if he actually did that and it could be proven. Um, Cause again, like when someone speaks in, you know, the, the amount of money, the dates, the reasons they got the money, like that, that to me is very, very significant. It's a very serious allegation, Jay. Um, and if you're paying somebody not to win games, like, you know, to me, that's the ultimate penalty uh, of losing your team.
4: Mike, speaking of people, allegedly paying people or trying to pay people to lose games. You worked for the Miami Dolphins and Steven Ross for five years. What do you make of the allegations against him by his former coach and Brian Flores?
2: Yeah, key again, very serious allegations. Um, I was not there with coach Flores, so I cannot speak about his situation. I can speak about my experiences with Steve Ross. They were very positive. He was very supportive as an owner, gave us all the resources to win. Um, so my experiences with Steve were he, he was completely supportive, very competitive person, uh, very driven man. Uh, so I can't speak to you know the allegations that Coach Flores made.
3: Hey, hey, Mike, it occurs to me, the way Hugh Jackson was describing to us, and we're going to play you some sound in a second about the contract, what it looked like and everything. But I imagine that a team could structure things like, and, and Coach even said, Uh, based on the age of the roster, things like that. So it it, it would be possible, I imagine, for a team to construct incentives in a way that doesn't necessarily indicate you must lose, but that indicates we're not trying to win yet because as we're collecting young, talented players, we're still not going to be any good, so we'll collect more young, talented players on the way. So age of roster and things like that are incentivized. If something like that is in the contract and the big picture says, oh, I see what's happening here, Hugh Jackson's going to be the fall guy for this, would Haslam have to sell the team then? In other words, if it was never explicitly like you are incentivized to lose.
2: Yeah, that's an interesting point, Max. Look, there's a lot of hypotheticals. You know, most of the time, guys, like the way those things are solved is you go into a relationship and say, hey, things could be bad here for a couple of years because we're going to be young. We want to clean up the cap. We want to move on from this quarterback. And if the market is giving, let's say a four-year contract, we want to give you a six-year contract because we're going to do this the right way and build something sustainable. So we're going to take the risk out of, you know, that you have to win immediately. And we want you to work with the front office and take the long-term view. So typically Max, that's the conversation you would be having with the agent. And really like the word I'd be using guys candidly was, Hey, this is a partnership and we want to do this for the long term. Um, So I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen a clause in a contract that says, hey, it's going to be based on the age of the roster. You know, sometimes you see things like improvement or, um, you know, let's get more wins than the year before. Obviously, if you make the playoffs, those are very typical clauses. So uh, I would just say ordinarily when you're talking about a rebuild or, you know, it's going to take you a while to be competitive, I've seen the length of the contract really be the way that's typically addressed.
5: ESPN NFL front officer, insider, former NFL executive Mike Tannenbaum, joining us here on Keyshawn J. Will Max. Mike, uh, due to your position as an executive in the league and also as a former agent, I want to go back to something from Hugh Jackson real quick. We asked him this about if he looked through the contract with his agent. Take a listen.
6: We went through it, and I think he was surprised by it. Because, again, this is not this is not total football. When you're talking about how young a team would be, when you're talking about Uh, how many many draft picks. I don't have any control over how many draft picks. I don't have any control over how young the team would be. Uh, That's just uh, the way it is. You know, anytime, you know, I've asked for the report once this particular money was deposited, I mean, what is this? How, How do we get to this? How is this number being deposited into my account? And no one could ever explain it other than this is what was earned.
5: So, so Mike, from somebody who's seen thousands of contracts, right? And as a, a former representative to many people, would you have gone through the incentive structure with a client uh, before they sign a contract of this magnitude, so they can understand yeah. how they are incentivized?
2: Yeah, typically, Jay. Well, and again, like when when you're with a a coach, you know, really on either side of the table, as you know, working for a team or an agent, like again, like they're a part of like your upper management, you know, they're the decision-making. And again, like there has to be alignment. Like, again, I've done this for over 20 years, mostly on the team side a little bit, as you said on the agent side. And again, the conversations I've had just to bring you guys into the room is like, Hey, like we're going to be partners here. And, you know, there's been some situations when we hired Rex in New York, we're like, Hey, we're going to win right now. We have a really good team. You know, there's been other times when we hired coach Edwards, you know, Herm was great. Herm, you know, came when, uh, you know, Kia just left and we felt like it was going to be a little bit of a rebuild. That was a five-year you know, situation because we lost great players like Keyshawn. Uh, in all seriousness, like every situation is a little bit different. So again, to me, like you want to say, hey, Coach Jackson, you're coming into Cleveland. We don't like the foundation here. We don't like what was done in the past. We didn't hit on picks. And we think this is a five to seven-year deal. Like, are you good with that? And then if I'm the coaching agent, I'm looking right at the owner and say, like, do you have the mental toughness? Like, We're going to have a lot of losses here. Like, can you hang in there with us? So, like, that's, to me, the conversation you're having where, to me, you want to have expectations aligned because if the owner thinks you have a good team and you think you have a bad team, like, that's going to be a bad marriage. That's why you want to have those conversations ahead of time. And then, to me, on the economics, that should be aligned as well. And if you're only going to win three to four games, having incentives that show improvement would be a way to address it.
4: Mike, you may not have the answer to this, but I'm going to ask you anyway because you've been in the cockpit. You've made these decisions. Black coaches are being shut out right now in terms of the hiring cycle that's going on, and I want to know why. And I also want to know why Wiley reported that Kevin O'Connell, who does not call plays for the Rams, by the way, has the title as offensive coordinator, is the front runner for the Minnesota Vikings job as a first-time guy who happens to be white.
2: Yeah, a uh, number of thoughts there, Key. You know, one of the things that uh, I've approached of doing is uh, I teach at Columbia and their masters of sports management program. And over the last two years, we've carefully studied the Rooney rule. And while it's well intentioned, guys, by any standards, it is not working. And I think one of the places like where there should be a much greater point of emphasis is on the entry level jobs. And if that was more racially and gender diverse. And you had a much greater pool of candidates starting on the entry level jobs, hopefully over time, there's already a lot of great qualified candidates, we've talked about them all fall candidly, Aaron Glenn, Todd Bowles, Jim Caldwell, um, Vance Joseph, there's a number of qualified African American candidates, but if there was a much greater level of emphasis placed on the entry level jobs, hopefully over time, the situation would kind of resolve itself because those people would be working their way through the system. So. The Rudy rule just hasn't worked, and I think the system really needs to be looked at with a fresh set of eyes. And I think one of the things that Coach Flores' lawsuit is bringing back to the table is, like, how can you only have, you know, one black coach in the NFL right now? It just – it's not working, and and the system needs to be fixed.
4: Mike, you've been a general manager a couple teams, right? And I want to know this because I've had had opportunities to get into the front office – does an owner tell you when you say to an owner, I want to hire X, I think he's the right candidate. Do an owner tell you, no, I want to hire this guy and that's who you have to hire, even though you're the GM.
2: Yeah. You know, key, it's a quick question. Um, titles sometimes are misleading because some owners are very involved. Look, when we went through the coaching search with, you know, Steve Ross, he was very involved, but he, he was open-minded. Um, so you know again every situation is going to be different um and and that's why some gm jobs they're not all created equal some you have a much bigger say than you do in other places so i was always about the process i was always about let's be open-minded and thoughtful uh you know when we promoted chris greer for example to be the gm of the dolphins um you know that was an internal process and he got to know steve and obviously we promoted chris and the rest was history but when we Moved on from Coach Philbin, we promoted Dan Campbell, but then we opened it up and had a a, a very long search. So, owners to me now are more involved than they ever been key, and I think the reason for that is the values are higher, the scrutiny's higher. I think the day and age of the absentee owner, I think that's going by the wayside.
3: Mike, but Dan, is that
4: but please. is that a good thing, Mike? Is that a, because I feel like owners need to own and stay out the way and let the general managers general manage. That's that's what
2: I feel. Well, Key, I think, I, I'll take it a step further. I just want to know, like, what it is. Like, if I'm making the decisions, hold me accountable. There's not, and you know, candidly, like, there's nothing more frustrating, guys, when you're held accountable for decisions you don't make. And candidly, like, if we had Mike Mayock on this show right now, you don't think he's frustrated by some of those decisions that he paid the ultimate accountability, right? He lost his job. He didn't have final say in Las Vegas with John Gruden. Now, he took the job knowing that, but, That's the most frustrating thing for any candidate is when you're held accountable for something you didn't say. So if an owner is going to own, like you say, then stay out, we'll keep you posted, come to the game. But like to me, but the key, right. But key, here's the reality. If you ever became a team president or a GM, let me just tell you, like, remember this, like if they're going to spend three to $5 billion, typically they're not just going to show up for the game and entertain people in their suite. Like if they're spending that type of money, they're typically going to be pretty involved.
4: They don't know football, though. That's why I still work at ESPN, because they don't know football. Mike, they don't know it. I've sat and talked to them. I've
2: sat in boxes. I've flown on planes. They don't know football. But it's human nature key, because what happens is when they're so successful in other walks of life, right? be it real estate or other ways they've made their money, a walk in. Look at David Tepper. David Tepper is one of the richest Americans in the world, and uh, and he made billions of dollars as a hedge fund. And he traded equities better than maybe anybody outside of Warren Buffett in the last thirty years. He is really struggling as an owner, but the way he's constituted is I'm really smart, I'm really successful, and if I can make billions of dollars trading stock, running an NFL team will be a walk in the park and look at all the you know bumps of the road David Tepper's had and he's just the most recent example so owners who are that successful and that driven don't they're not constituted just to sit there and not participate it's
3: hard to tell someone whose philosophy and outlook has you know um, led them to untold success to suddenly start retailing their basic philosophy they look at it wholesale like this is the way i look at things and they want to apply that to their next (laughs) venture
4: i get it max it it, mike and that's why when you guys are down in west palm beach hanging out at the owner meetings they sitting in the corner in the no ring category yeah
3: right but that's true too and that's that that leads to the next thing mike i think about um hiring practices and i'm thinking about people listening maybe or owners who don't self-identify as racist Right. They may be influenced by stereotypes and all kinds, of, but they don't self-identify as racist. I think about like the my beloved New York Yankees from the from 1920 to the mid 60s, the greatest dynasty ever. They were among the last to integrate. And as a result, largely of that, the dynasty came to a screeching halt because they didn't access a pool of talent that everyone else was accessing. Right. What is the answer here? to the owners, to get them. Brian Flores was asked on Get Up yesterday, um, you know, what does he hope to achieve? He says he wants to open hearts and minds. What is the answer or or a possible solution to get the owners who don't self-identify as racist, because maybe some do, to think about things differently?
2: Yeah, it's funny you said that. I was talking to Curtis Martin about this about 10 days ago before Brian Flores' lawsuit, and Curtis, uh, like he former Jet, very thoughtful like Key. Like, you can have some really interesting conversation with Curtis. And we talk a lot about that. And there's got to be a way to socialize relationships between the owners who are ultimately making the decisions and candidates. Like, I'll give you a great example. Aaron Glenn, former teammate of Keys. He played for us at Jets. When we hired him as a scout, the first question he said to me goes, Mike, can I go get my MBA? I'm like, absolutely, and we'll pay for it. And then a year later, he's like, you know what? I don't want to be a GM. I want to be a head coach. Aaron Glenn's not going to be a good head coach. He's going to be a great head coach. And if there was a forum, guys, or uh, some sort of like, I don't even know what it is in this world, maybe it's a digital with Zoom, where every six months qualified candidates like Aaron Glenn, who, mark my words, will be a great NFL head coach, got to know some of the owners in some sort of informal way, mm-hmm. I think that will go a long way. I've been part of the interview process. It can be stiff. It could be hard. It could be really, not weird, but really awkward at times. And the more people get to know each other and have earnest conversations, I think that's going to lead to a much better result. Because if Aaron Glenn walked into a room, he's impossible not to like. And you could see the presence he has. And, and again, there's countless other guys, like, a guy like Vance Joseph. VJ, and I worked together in Miami. He solved so many problems when Adam Case was our head coach behind the scenes. It didn't work out in Denver. Look, it didn't work out for a lot of people in Denver because they didn't have a quarterback. I know he solves a lot of problems today in Arizona. If he's in the right sort of like way to get to know other owners beyond the interview cycle, I think he would be a great head coach with another shot. Todd Bowles, Jim Caldwell, other guys I've gone to know, I think it's no brainers that they'll be good head coaches again. It's just try and create a forum where they can have that organic interaction.
5: Mike, speaking of opportunities to be a head coach again, I want you to take a listen to what Greeny asked Brian Flores yesterday on Get Up. Do you believe you will ever coach in the National Football League again? I'm hopeful that I will. I'm very hopeful. Um, But I understand the risks of, of, of filing a lawsuit like this. But I'm very, um, I am hopeful. Well, it's something I'm passionate about. But if change comes, and if I never coach again, and there's change, it, it'll be worth it. Mike, do you think Brian Flores will ever coach again in the National Football League?
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll actually, I'll give you the uh, the team that if he should be, go look at Houston, right? Knows Nick Casario really well. Been with a lot of the people in the front office there. Like to me, that's a place where they're a better organization tomorrow if he would walk through that door. If for whatever reason he's not a head coach. To me, the logical landing spot would be Coach Belichick. You know, he's brought back a number of his assistants. Last year, he brought back Matt Patricia. Matt Patricia obviously wears a lot of hats for them now. So to me, if he's not the head coach of Houston uh, in the next few days, I would think he would land back in New England where he was very, very well regarded. He started in the personnel department under Scopioli. He transitioned over to coaching, and obviously the rest is history, worked his way up the ranks. So, I would think if he's not a head coach, I think he has a real chance of, uh, you know, going back to the Patriots.
3: That coach, Brian Flores, just won 19 games in the last two seasons. If he has to be- gets demoted to a coordinator somewhere, that is a shame on the NFL. That is the great Mike Tannenbaum, ladies and gentlemen. Mike, always great to have you.
2: Thanks, guys. Thanks, Mike. Uh, my-
3: Keyshawn J. Max presented by Progressive Insurance. They went all in. And now the Rams will play the Super Bowl in their own stadium. Second year in a row. Team hosts the Super Bowl. It's weird, huh? Never happened before. Now two years in a row. The GM who made the bold move for Matthew Stafford on how it paid off.
6: g
2: J-Will, and Max, the podcast. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive You're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com.
0: Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Have you ridden an electric e-bike yet? You need to check out Electric e-Bikes today. The number one selling e-bike in America. Two things stand out that bikers love about electric. Number one, the majority of their models come pre-assembled, so you don't need to be a bike savant to ride them. Number two. by visiting electricebikes.com. That's L-E-C-T-R-I-C-E-bikes.com.
3: And joining us now on Keyshawn J. Willemax on ESPN Radio is Rams GM making his second trip to the Super Bowl in four years, Les Sneed. Les, thanks for joining us this morning.
1: Appreciate y'all having me. How's it going? What's up, Les? Key, what's going on?
4: Man, I, I you either change your number or you don't like me. One of the two. Could it be? But it could be both. I have to
1: choose between the two.
4: No, he has to choose between the two.
1: Somewhere, so we, you know, the truth always is somewhere in between, right? <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, no, I, I reached out to you to congr- congratulate you, but I'm sure I probably got caught up can in the wash. I tell you
1: this, Keith. I have not changed my number, but I did try to get through all of the text. Right. Because you're fortunate enough to get, you know, text after a game like we had Sunday and and it was in the 400s. And I promise you, I would have texted you back. So I don't think it came through. Now, what's great key is somehow yesterday when everyone's now asking for tickets. Like all of a sudden, my contact for whatever reason, these numbers were coming up, but the contacts weren't showing. So all I could see is phone numbers. So I'm like, okay, I don't know if this is good or bad, but it was perfect storm.
4: Yeah, no, I can only I can only imagine uh, exactly what that was like. Let me ask you this one uh, before we actually get into a magical ride, corporate ride on the season for you, Les. What was your reaction? to Brian Flores' lawsuit against the National Football League and
1: all 32 teams? Uh, You know what? And here's what I'll say, Keith, on Brian's specific situation, right? I'm not privy, you know, to the facts of his specific situation. So, right, me commenting on his situation really wouldn't be useful. But what I do know, what I can say in this deal is, what we all know is, unfortunately – in this matter, we're not where we want to be, but I do think fortunately uh, there have been and there currently are right a lot of good men and women trying to do their part to get us there. Not there yet, uh, but we're trying to get closer. And, and probably in, in Brian's case, that that's a that's a situation that is part of this pro- process that is progress. Right, that people doing their part to try to get us closer to where we want to be, uh, which is the fortunate part. The unfortunate part is we're not there yet.
5: Let's back to on the field. How important were the additions of Matthew Stafford and OBJ? Have they been for this offense to click to a different level?
1: Those are very, very uh, important additions and, and really right, come in, in two different Timelines, but you know, Matt speaks for himself, right? it very experienced QB, had a lot of success and and maybe statistically success. And also, I mean, they did have a few years there where they did have some quality teams and, and, and right, got wild card appearances. Unfortunately, didn't win a playoff game and things like that. Uh, but the the interesting thing going back to OBJ, it, it did come at a time when we lost one of our pillars in Robert Woods, who who him and Cooper had been a part of this uh, kind of ecosystem since 2017, and 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 it's 2021 now, and it was a pretty well old machine. So in in losing Robert and Cooper, because those two guys are kind of Heinz Wardish, you know, when it comes to running the ball. You know, our, our team right gives them the nicknames of being fullbacks and, and things like that. But they're very interchangeable, right? They could they could move to each other's position, know you know know what their responsibilities were in, in the middle of the game, just to right change up tendencies. So when we lost Robert, and then we were fortunate enough to get OBJ and get him implemented uh, into this offense, and I, th- I think that really helped us, along with a lot of other people down the stretch and help us get to playing our best football late in the season when it counted.
4: Les Snead, Rams, general manager, joining us this morning on Jay Will, and Max. Les, how does it feel getting back to the Super Bowl for the second time since being in Los Angeles? You pushed all the chips to the table. You gave up draft picks to 30-30. You gave them all in. And now you have an opportunity four quarters away from hosting the Lombardi Trophy.
1: It, it's very it's very fulfilling uh but the interesting part uh, the most fulfilling part right is and the, the the whole all-in and chips and and things like that and that's that's nice right it's good content it's good narrative but w- what really counts in that right all of those are people right that are involved that actually had to come here and actually had to go through the journey right had to play the 17 games he's had to overcome an injury that to, to cam Akers, robert woods had to go through a three-game losing streak had to go through kind of that three-game omicron outbreak that we had and and had to play your best football in december and, and to see see those people right not just I call it's not just Madden where you're you know you're adding superstars or what you know all the all the kind of I call it shallow narrative right that's good content to see those people actually put in the work right Monday through Saturday weeks on end through the ebbs and flows and the adversity of the 17 game journey and to and to and to and to to earn this opportunity to compete for a world championship uh, that's been pretty neat to see when those young men in that locker room are, are, you know, hugging, high-fiving after, after that accomplishment.
4: Will you have any conversations with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers front office on how they dealt with and handled uh, playing in their home stadium? Because it's a home, it's your stadium, but it's not your home crowd and how they went about dealing with that.
1: Uh, You know, that's a, that's a good question. Haven't, thought about that yet but uh, you know what always looking for good ideas so uh, definitely may make a call to, to them here soon but I, I do think what we you know without checking with them uh, you know there's definitely uh, some built in advantages uh, and especially with us just being in it a, a few years ago and no one wants like to have to pack up your entire organization travel somewhere uh, and then unload it and, and kind of live that week, uh, you, you know, in a, in a hotel amongst the party but also trying to focus. So being able to stay right here at Kowloon uh, definitely has some advantages. And, and, and what is interesting, key, is it, it's a home game, but we're the visiting team, and there are going to be some nuances where, right, we're, what we're, how we're used to getting to the game Totally changes the NFL. kind of controls our situation now. So right, parking's differently. You're not just going to roll up and and, and you know into the players' parking lot and, and things like that. So there are going to be some routines that are going to be broken. But uh, you know, we'll definitely take it.
3: Les Snead, Rams general manager. Before we let you go, I must ask, you got to the Super Bowl with the number one overall pick, a quarterback, Jared Goff. That wasn't good enough. You guys were trying to win the Super Bowl. You trade Goff with two other firsts and a third for Stafford. You bring in OBJ. You bring in Von Miller. You trade a second and a third. You have no draft picks until the year 3000. You made the Super Bowl less. Is it a success if you don't win the Super Bowl? Must you win the Super Bowl for the all-in strategy to have paid off?
1: I think I'll answer it like this. When you get this opportunity to have a chance to be one of 32 – whether you're, like you said, supposedly all in. I, I think every team, the two teams that get to the chance to be one of thirty-two, you know, whether they're all in, they're pretty close to being all in, and it is it is definitely a a, a once uh, and not many times opportunity. So I do know this when you get when you get this off and we've taken that bus ride home from that stadium where you where you didn't finish on top. Uh, you definitely want to finish the task you want to do your part over the next two weeks to to lock in right to rejuvenate to to you know the plan to prepare and, and be primed and ready to execute and, and make the most of that opportunity on uh sunday here in a few weeks
5: les it appears the vikings are going to hire kevin o'connell with that being said how proud are you of the coaches you guys have developed in la which even includes zach taylor who you guys are facing the super bowl
1: it, it, uh, Sean and I were talking last night uh, about that, and, and it's it's wow you can't be, I mean just it, it, you can't you're very excited right when one of your partners one of your teammates right gets the chance gets an an opportunity like that, but you know, there is a there is a side where Sean and I are like it, and and we have we have some guys that are going to move on to be coordinators, and it's like wow how many uh, coaches have we lost in the last five years and can we keep uh, if, right? Can we keep going to the well and, and finding quality ones? And I, and I think the answer is yes, there. But when, when you have to do that uh, time and time again, there is an element of of training and, and getting them orientated into the way we do things. Uh, that that's definitely. Uh, I don't know if we've gotten there yet, but we're we got a pretty good manual on how to do that for sure. Mm. But there's uh, wear and tear on that. But.
4: So hey, so Les, before I let you go, I need to know this, and you know, you know how I am. So who takes the credit for finding Cooper Cup? Who's arguing in the in the line? Is it you? Is it the scouting department? Is it is it Sean? Somebody's got to be saying I found him because uh, uh, what he third round. So that means that 40 something picks went by. Maybe longer, more than that, huh? About what was he sixty? So it was about sixty picks went by before he was selected. So who gets that credit?
1: Oh, I, I'm I'm gonna give credit key to his wife because he, Cooper was at Eastern Washington and she was a, uh, I think a heptathlete that went to Arkansas. So if you're if you're in the you're a Pac-12 guy, so you know you know how the SEC is. It's real down there. When I was going up, Arkansas track like it was legit. She goes to Arkansas. They're kind of hype that you know their sweethearts. She decides I'm going to transfer from Arkansas to Eastern Washington because she believed that uh, in Cooper and he was gonna you know he was the way to go. So she was probably the first to believe in him. And uh, you know what? She left that SEC accolade track career to go uh, do track you know, they're at uh, at a smaller place in Washington.
4: Y'all found one. That's we'll damn give her the sure. credit. Hmm, hmm. Y'all certainly found one. <laughs> That's for damn sure. Les Snead,
3: best of luck in the Super
1: Bowl. Key, you have heard the conversation. You probably have. It's well story. I'll brief it right now, though. When Cooper Cup finished his freshman year at Eastern Washington, I happened to be down at the Manning Passing Academy, right? So, long story short, they bring all the QBs in, things like that. They have this big day where they throw all the college QBs. Uh, Peyton and Eli throw on Saturday night Thibodeau, Louisiana at Nichols State Stadium. Pack it, right? And this is when Peyton's coming off his neck surgery. So he's going to throw publicly for the first time. So if you know Peyton Manning, right, he's running the staff meeting where he's talking to all the counselors at the camp because there's about 700 kids there at that camp. and, and the college QBs and he's rolled, Hey, this is what we're going to do. This is the route trees. These are the, you know, the games, the targets we're going to try to hit at the end of the day. I do know this. He looked at Eli and said, Hey, Cooper cups, mine. I'm the only one throwing to him. You figure out yours. And he looked at the college kids and said, y'all figure out the rest. So I wrote down Cooper cups name. And at the end of the day, you know, three years later, uh, you know what? He lived up to Peyton Manning saying, I'm throwing to him. And Eli, you figure out who you're throwing to. Yes.
3: Less need, ladies and gentlemen. As I said, less best of luck in the Super Bowl getting the whole thing done this year. Tremendous to get there twice in four years.
1: Appreciate you jumping on with us. Good luck, All Les. All right, Les. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh-huh. Appreciate it, Key. You got to get my uh-huh. number again. Man, <laughs> I'm going to text you. I didn't ghost you, Key. Hey, you, you, Max, Jay, y'all work with Key. Is, I mean, it, I would it would take a brave man to ghost Key on not returning the text. <laughs>
3: facts, <laughs> facts. Key, he said uh, he, his phone was malfunctioning. He hit you with every excuse in the book, man. I, you know,
4: I, maybe I got the wrong number. He, his number didn't change, but maybe I don't know. Maybe I was.
3: Impaired or something and couldn't be. <laughs> Keyshawn J. Will and Max is presented by Progressive Insurance. If you missed it an hour ago, Hugh Jackson told us he was paid $750,000 in bonuses that he now realizes was an incentive to lose games with the Browns. That's how he's interpreting it. We'll react to it next. Keyshawn J. Will and Max on ESPN Radio and Sirius XM Channel 80.
1: Keyshawn J. Will and Max, the podcast.
0: Must be 21-plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details.
3: Hugh Jackson, former Cleveland Browns head coach. Did
4: you accept the money unknowingly? And how much was it?
6: Absolutely.
4: It was a total
6: of $750,000. Hugh put a
3: number on it. $750,000. $750,000. And as anyone who listens to this show knows, Key is very interested in the money and the numbers. Or, that, or that's me. I don't know. Not important. Look, Hugh Jackson, former Browns head coach, this morning on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. Listen, Key asked him if he accepted money for losing. Listen. Did you accept mm-hmm. bonus money
4: for losing games?
6: No. When you say, did I accept? No, because I didn't know exactly, like I'm saying, exactly where this was all coming from until we're in it. And when you say accept it, it's like somebody hands you the money. Money gets directly deposited into your account.
4: Did you accept the money unknowingly, and how much was it?
6: Absolutely. It was a total of $750,000, but it was based on how, you know, whatever those benchmarks you hit what it was that you got every year from it i really don't know cuz those things were directed you know right into your checking account
3: key what, what did you think when you heard that well i really wanted to, <laughs> i love to laugh but i
4: really wanted to ask you why you didn't send it back come on man they say no i, I know turn, but i turned down that
3: <laughs> um <laughs> Key, you, you wake up in the morning, there's 7.50 wired into your account. How many questions are you going to be asking?
4: No, I I know. I just, not understanding the, the structure of the contract, you know, I, I can understand that. I can get that. Because let's be honest, and, and, and people could say, well, they read everything in the contracts and things of that nature. But when you hire lawyers and you have agents and things of that nature, for the most part, you are looking at the bottom line figure. You're not looking at the little hidden language in there and things of that nature because you entrust, you entrust those individuals that you hire
5: to do those sort of things. Yeah, I just laugh because what do you and I joke about? Like what do we scroll down to when we get the oh, whole?
4: Your first thing you want to hear is the, cause <laughs> compensation. You want to, compensation. That's the line you go to. So to think that he was going to, and even if he did sit there and scroll over the contract line item by line item by line item. He clearly didn't fully understand what they were asking him based
3: on what he just told us. Yeah, I, I mean, I I think it's – you can get a – you can not – you can incentivize someone, it's not just to lose, but to be a part of a multi-year plan that involves losing Very and true. being young and all that stuff without it ever explicitly saying in the contract – here, he, take this money to lose. As I said, the youngest team, things like that, well, your draft status, all that stuff. And then when you look at the big picture, Jay, you can say, oh, I see.
5: I get you know. it. Yeah. It, the thing that struck me the most, and I'm glad that you had a chance to apologize to him in a way, Max, uh, because you only see the outside details, right? You see the 1-in-31 record, and you're like, whoa. And, and people on a day-to-day basis do that. But now to have a fuller understanding – of how he got there, yep. and he said, the one thing I want to get back is my name. Yep, I want to get my name and my reputation back because that was soured throughout the process.
3: Provided not only is he telling the truth, but that we would all agree with his interpretation of the facts, Yes, then I think it is unfair that I or anyone, even though we were just reacting to the facts available to us at the time, still participated in sullying his reputation when he deserved better.
6: Thanks for listening to Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, the podcast.